can't remember God knows how many years ago this was that when I'd be watching TV late at night, after a certain hour when everybody else was asleep, a show would come on called The Joe Franklin Show. And he was a very peculiar guy with a love of Hollywood and show business. And he's someone you find out has interviewed Marilyn Monroe, Jane Mansfield, Bing Crosby, Bill Cosby, Eddie Cantor, Barbara Streisand. He's written 23 books about old Hollywood. He's been called the king of nostalgia. So, we had to get him on this show because he's interviewed everyone. I think on one of his shows he had both James Dean and Al Pacino. He's had the weirdest combinations of major stars, some of them while they were still working as waiters. So, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Franklin. This is the Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and my co-host is Frank Santopadre. Hey, hey, Gilbert. And we're here. Hey, stop talking when I'm trying Sorry. to do a show here. Now, uh, we're here with the uh, former host of a great show that all of us remember, uh, Joe Franklin's Memory Lane. And so we're here, of course, with Joe Franklin in, uh, in the theater community in Times Square. I got to tell you, last night I was hosting, you know, I do a lot of uh, special events, speaking engagements. I was at a uh, nursing home, and I saw a man in the front row sleeping. So I said to his wife, I says, what's this all about? She says, my husband is sleeping. I said, well, do me a favor, wake him up. She says, no, you put him to sleep, you wake him up. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 I didn't mean to come on. So it, was, it just happened last night. So it's on my mind right now, you know. But I uh, very honored to be with my friend Gilbert Gottfried. I go way back and admiring Gilbert and Frank. It's my pressure, my pleasure to meet you, and it's a lot of uh, fun we're going to have here today, right? Now, now, where did where did we meet? We met originally. I think you were doing a TV pilot once. I take in a restaurant. I think it was, and I was one of your guests. And then later on, I did a TV special on Channel Nine. I think it was my 40th anniversary in TV, and you and I did a scene in my catacombs in my, in my office building in the basement, and the funny scene in the elevator, and we, we got great, great memories, and it's uh, nice to reminisce. Now, where in your new office, how you, how you were able to... For, for those of you who, who have never seen Joe Franklin's office... If you've ever imagined the absolute worst, most frightening episode of Hoarders, <laughs> you know, where like someone's got uh, sleeps on a mountain of rats and old newspapers and rotted food. And that, that place, the most scariest episode of Hoarders, looks like Martha Stewart. Well, I got you. There's no rats or episode bugs. It's it's pretty spotless. But rats but, would be scared to go on your. <laughs> office. You're not kidding. But it's it's uh, an accumulation of you know you know what happens when people move to Florida, and they're fans of mine. So instead of selling their stuff to uh, the Salvation Army or to a junkyard somewhere, their old phonograph records, the old 78s, or their old 
motion picture lobby cards or the song sheets or the photographs with Jack Benny and Bob Hope and Eddie Kedder. They give it to me, so I, 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 I never learned how to say no. It piles up, and after a while, it becomes beyond, uh, beyond category. Just it's, and and I, I know the order of most of the disorder in my office, and it's pretty pretty neat office. And I've been photographed by some of the top magazines all over the world. I don't even want to be photographed anymore because people see those pictures. They come and they bother me in my office, you know, so I tell them, don't come here anymore. The office is now... Uh, off property, off, off the, off the, uh, uh, off the point where I want any more visitors. But it's, uh, I appreciate the plug. I'm glad you like the, the decor in my office. It's, 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 it, it, it's frightening. It's early days, early, yeah. day, early, early days. Salvation Army, right? Is it true you have fifty thousand movie stills, Joe? One hundred and seventy thousand magazines and two hundred thousand pieces of sheet music. Maybe more. Maybe that, that, that's an item that came out in Daily News a little while ago. I guess mm-hmm. I've got maybe a million of everything by now. It just it's, it's uh, uncountable, uncategorical. You, you can't you can't organize a, a collection like that. But it's mine, and I'll I'll live with it until my last day on Earth. And I'm enjoying it. Good. Good. Frank and I uh, kept looking up at the shelves, going, "If one thing." <laughs> Slips yeah. over a quarter of an inch. We're both dead. Well, I lost about nine people so far this year. <laughs> I, I love that he offered you an egg salad sandwich, too, as soon as yes. you walked into the room. Yes. Could I have the last half? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did, I did invent the talk show. I was telling somebody the other day that I was uh, a protege of a man remember, named Martin Block on the Make Believe Ballroom. Anybody? And I, I was his record picker. He got me my own little radio show. And I get a call one day from Channel 7, Channel 7. I was, on, I was on Channel 7 for the first 13 years. And they said, Joe, if we give you an hour a day, what kind of a show might you do? See, TV was only on the air then from 5 o'clock until Sermonette. There was no daytime TV. So they said, Joe, we're considering lighting up in the day. So if we gave you an hour a day, what kind of a show might you do? I, I said, how about a show people talking nose to nose, eyeball to eyeball, just talking. He said, Joe, you're out of your mind. You can't do a talk show on television. You've got to give him a vision. You've got to give him a sales bottle, baggy pants, pratfalls, burlesques. You can't do it. So I said, well, I, I, so, well, rock and roll was coming in. I said, well, I do a show of kids dancing to records. They show you nuts again. Who's going to watch kids dance to records? Who comes along? Dick Clark becomes a multi-billionaire. But I, <laughs> and I defied them. I did what I think was the first pure, organic, from-the-bones TV talk show. And I did it for 43 years, 13 years on Channel 7, about 30 years on Channel 9. And I, uh, my singer was Barbara Streisand, and I've had, uh, I mean, uh, I don't want to brag, I had Ronald Reagan five times, I had uh, Richard Nixon twice, I had Charlie Chaplin, I had Bing Crosby twice, Frank Sinatra twice, I had Cary Grant, I had uh, John Wayne, I had uh, everybody except Greta Garbo, I had everybody, everybody that ever lived, I had a half a million guests, and it's uh, staggering, I still can't believe, I watched my old videos when I was young and handsome, and I say, boy, I never, I never looked that good. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because this show, the amazing Colossal Podcast, it's about mostly honoring old Hollywood and showbiz and everything. So you've definitely had an influence. I've written 23 books, most of them about old Hollywood. My last book sold 75,000 copies, and they're all in my house. No. <laughs> Some of them are in your office, too. Right, right. <laughs> my, my last book was in, is now its third printing. The first two printings were blurred. I'm not kidding. <laughs> no, but now, I, what was Charlie Chaplin like to talk well, to? Well, Chaplin told me something. I mean, he told me many, many. He told me, most of all, he told me about people who spend hours analyzing his films with a microscope. They, they, they spend half a lifetime 
analyzing all the implications, all the Freudian shadings and all the, you know, just to make it simplistic, every time he kicks the fat man in the behind, he's supposed to be knocking the establishment, you know, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But he swore to me he had nothing in mind ever except to make people laugh. They're, they're, they're analyzing and they're scrutinizing what, what, what wasn't, wasn't there in the first place, you know. So basically, all he had was to make people laugh and they, they analyze those movies year after year and it's so phony, so fake, because there's nothing, nothing to analyze, you know. So he, but he, was, he was in a wheelchair. He was called back after being sort of an exile for a long time, and it was, uh, he was a great man, Charlie Chaplin, as was Ronald Reagan, as, as was everybody. I had, uh, Bill Cosby is one of the night. Bill Cosby always comes back. Many stars don't come back. You know, they, I gave the first exposure ever to, I guess, to Gilbert Gottfried. To, <laughs> to, uh, he came back. Mo- they, most people are sorry you did that. That's right. Yeah. Most of them, they resent the fact. They, they don't want to be reminded of the days when they were broke. <laughs> but the ones who come back including, uh, include Al Pacino and Bill Cosby and Connie Francis. But I gave you, the first. You interviewed Charlie Chaplin and Al Pacino. Many, at least four times each. Yeah. I mean, how many people can say that? Not many, not many. And Buster Keaton and Julia Roberts. But Julia Roberts was my anchor lady for a while. Buster Keaton was one of my dearest friends, and uh, I, uh, I've had many, many. Uh, I gave the first exposure to Eddie Murphy, to Billy Crystal. You know, Billy Crystal impersonated me for, for uh, two years on Saturday Night oh, Live. Oh yeah. First time I saw Billy Crystal as me. You know what I said? I said, Billy, one of us is lousy. <laughs> <laughs> now this was obviously. Pre-pretty woman, Julia Roberts. That's right. She was 18 years old. I said to her, Julia, you're going to make it someday because your eyes, your lips, your nose, your mouth, they all match. She blushed, but she, as you say, pre-pretty woman. She did quite well. And what was Sal Pacino talking about? Al was on the same panel with a young man named James Dean. Wow. Who uh, became a late lamented Hollywood superstar. If he had lived, he would have been another Marlon Brando, I'm sure. So Al Pacino and James Dean on one on panel. On one, one, time, one panel. One time I had Boris Karloff, Peter Laurie, and Vincent Price on one panel. <laughs> oh, man. I specialized in that. And even though I had all the superstars, you'd be amazed. People, not mainly, but many, many times, wish that I would have more of the old-timers that are fading out. They come on my show for the last glow in the spotlight. You know what I'm saying? They figure after they do the Joe Franklin show, they're going to go back into total obscurity. So (laughs) I had the the super... I was known as... uh, I had what they call an eclectic mix. I would have Ronald Reagan on with the dancing dentist. I'd have Margaret Mead on with the man who whistles through his nose. You know what I'm saying? Now, now this was something always weird about your show. (laughs) Right, right. That used to fascinate me. You'd have them all sitting around. There would be like a dentist there and a house painter and a lounge singer. And you try to get them into a conversation together. And you'd be saying stuff like, well, uh, well, Ted, here's the singer. And so if this singer wanted to get his house painted, I guess he'd go to you. And if the painter broke his tooth, then uh, you, a dentist, would fix it. And it was a very strange... I was the ultimate. I, I was the quintessential clearinghouse in that sense. I brought many, many people together. Many times if I was... A little bit tired, I would let somebody else... I just walk off the set and let somebody else do my show for 15 minutes, you know? And I came back and... And then you also, when you'd have a singer on the show, it wasn't like like the Tonight Show where they'd come out, grab the mic, and sing. They'd stay on panel, 
sit, look uncomfortable, and their record would be played. And it worked. It worked. You know, yeah. people, don't, people don't realize you held on TV by the ratings, and I, I, I held my ratings for 43 years. It's, you know, it's like in a supermarket. If the certain super suds don't sell, it gets kicked out into the, into the street, into the mud. So I didn't get kicked out for 43 years. Then by that time, I retired. Did I say retired or retarded? I retired. Yeah. And, From uh, 51 to 93, right? For, Joe Franklin show. No, we still, oh, that's right, 1951, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Long, long time. Long time. And uh, it's a question now that uh, I've got people after me to bring it back, to bring it back the way it was, yeah. the, the original Joe Franklin radio, TV show, I mean, which I don't want to, I don't think I got the energy or the stamina to do that uh, five times a week anymore, but I'll, uh, I'm on Bloomberg Radio every day, you know, this week yes. I'm, I'm interviewing uh, Neil Sedaka, Olivia Newton-John, and uh, Paul Anker, and... Cindy uh, Lauper, I, I get Shirley Jones, I get good guests. I want to have uh, uh, Mr. Godfrey on there one day soon, but it's uh, it's uh, he's a tough cat, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah tough, he wants I, too much money, too much money, right? Now, um, I'm still fascinated by the Al Pacino and James <laughs> Dean. That, but I remember too when these singers, when their record would play. They'd like kind of bounce their head uncomfortably. They wouldn't mouth the words. And then the other guests would kind of like uncomfortably lean over to them. And you could see them mouth out, oh, this is good. <laughs> it was kind of non-professional, but it worked. I mean, many, yeah. Many, many people copied my style. So I, I created that style of having the singer sit there and smile while this record was playing. And worked out fine. Which stars were you like most bowled over by? Meeting. I would say Bing Crosby. I love Bing. I always thought of Bing as being what you might call. Uh, that's a great question. I would say, I thought of Bing as being mechanically reproduced. I thought of Bing on radio, on records, on TV, on movies. But when he walked toward me, flesh and blood, Bing Crosby. That, I think I melted. I, I did my best. And, and you know something ironic? Bing, the most romantic balladeer in history, was not that romantic in his private life. He would tell he would tell the songwriters, don't put the word I love you twice in one song. He would say, I don't want to say I love you twice in one song. And he, he'd rather be out with the boys hunting and shooting. But he, that day, he was normally very cranky, very moody, but that day with me, he was so, could have been an old-time void, but I think maybe he was showing off to his young wife, Catherine Grant. She was on the panel with him that day. Remember Kathy Grant? Sure. So, uh, but I've, I've had them all. I, my, my, no. my, my policy was kind of open. I had certain guests. I didn't have to book. They, they were welcome to walk in any time they wanted. So Bing Crosby yeah, yeah. was the one or one of the people that you went, oh, my God, I'm talking to Bing Crosby. I would say the one, the one. Yeah. I, I was, you, you could tell by looking at me, I was so in awe. I, I couldn't even talk sometimes, you know, but... Uh, I love Bing Crosby. Now, Bing Crosby, his second marriage was supposed to be like, they say, an improvement on the first one. Well, the first one was Dixie Lee, who uh, I think drank a little bit. And the second one was Catherine Grant, who he really loved. He had four kids with each wife. And I think that uh, his memory will endure. You know, Bing Crosby was number one at the box office for about four years in a row when he made Going My Way and Bells of St. Mary's and all those. And... And one of my other favorites is Mickey Rooney, who's 93. Mickey Rooney is 93. And Sir Lawrence Olivier told me on my show that Mickey Rooney is the greatest actor that ever lived. Olivier wow. said that. Remember seeing the human comedy where Mickey Rooney's telegram boy and best bring to telegram to a mother that her son was killed in the war. That, that, that scene is one of the all-time... Well, Sammy Davis Jr., in an interview, they, they called him the greatest entertainer of all times. I'll go along with that. I'll go along with that as well, but right? Sammy Davis said 
He he thinks the greatest entertainer of all time was Mickey Rooney. Isn't that, isn't that nice? Yeah. Sammy was great. I had Sammy on my show many times. One time, I had Georgie Jess. Remember that Georgie oh, Jess? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> what, 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 what would Georgie say if he was here right now? What would Georgie say? Well, I'm, hello, Mama. Mama, this is Georgie. From the money every week. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> hey, did you get that parrot I you? What? You ate the parrot? But that parrot spoke ten languages. Oh, he should have said something. Why did he say something? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then, Mama, how's your eyesight doing? What, you have spots behind you before your eyes? Well, why don't you put your glasses on? Oh, now you see the spots clear. That's funny. He was so great. You got him down, Pat. <laughs> one time, one time, uh, Jess arrived late. He, during my live show, these were live days before tape, and, and Professor Irwin Corey said, Joe, I'll bet that George is at the hospital now awaiting the birth of his next wife. <laughs> he, was, he was famous famous for marrying young women, you know? One time Jessel was on with uh, Cardinal Spellman, remember Cardinal Spellman? So yes. Jessel starts to quote the Bible, so Cardinal Spellman says, George, I didn't realize you were such a keen, avid, ardent student of the Bible. So he says, well, I'll tell you one thing, when I was a young man, your highness, well, your highness in vaudeville, going from city to city, in between gigs, I would sit in my hotel room at night, and I would study the Gideon Bible until the hooker got there. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, got a million, million, million to those. Oh, tell us, you told a funny Groucho Mark story. Well, uh, we're on the air. We got to be careful. Oh right? yeah, yeah. No, not on this show. It's no. not. A, it's not radio. It's it's just for the internet. You can tell it. And if it's me hosting, no one's listening. No, they're listening. Yes. <laughs> Groucho was a dear friend of mine. He was. Uh, it was just the best. As was uh, Eddie Cantor. Now you mentioned the world's greatest entertainers. I would say Al Jolson was the greatest of all time. He was the first man to make a talking, singing picture, and. Uh, now, wasn't Georgie Jessel offered the jazz singer before Al Jolson? You know your history. Georgie Jessel played the jazz singer on Broadway for three years, three sold-out years. And when Warner Brothers decided to try sound movies, they offered the part to Georgie Jessel. And Jessel said, I want $10,000 in cash. Now, you know what? Warner Brothers did not have 10000 in cash, so they, they called Jolson to take it on a risk, on a, on a stock basis. If the picture made money... Uh, he'd make money. Jessel, so, so Jolson made $14 million because he took the chance. And Jessel said, when I make a mistake, I make a big one. <laughs> Speaking of Jolson, Joe, I've been doing a little research about you. You said, you said, did you really follow Al Jolson around New York when you were a kid? I think I've introduced him on some of the stages with a fellow named William B. Remember William B. Williams? Sure, Make Believe Ballroom. That's the guy. I introduced him on about nine or ten Lowe's Theater stages when he was plugging a movie called uh, Jolson Sings Again. With Larry Parks. Larry Parks. Exactly, and Barbara Hale was... Uh... And the greatest part about that movie is when Larry Parks as Jolson meets Larry Parks as Larry Parks. Great sequence. <laughs> Great. And the voice track, for those that are a little bit young, the voice track was sung by Al Jolson himself. Larry Parks did the uh, pantomiming, but uh, he did his own dialogue, of course, his own voice, but when it came to singing... It was Larry, it was Jolson's voice all the way. It was, they say, the most thrilling, most electrifying voice in the whole history of show business. And I'll go along with that. 
Tell us about those days, about following Jolson around New York. You sold jokes to Eddie Cantor when you were a teenager. Yeah, I sold jokes to Eddie. Eddie was my idol. Eddie, he was, he was the apostle of pep. He was, the, uh, he was the, uh, the medicine. He was the medication that we needed during the Depression days, the early 1930s, when people didn't have a dime. They were lined up on street corners selling apples. He, he was the, the ray of brightness, the ray of sunshine that people needed. And he was... I guess he was my favorite. My first Broadway show I ever saw in my life was called Banjo Eyes with Eddie Cantor. I used to wait outside the stage door and get his autograph, and later on I wound up writing his radio show, and I, I, wrote, the, I wrote the radio shows for Kate Smith, a show called Kate Smith Sings, which you, I used to go to a house, she would teach me how to sing God Bless America, <laughs> and I've, uh, I chose the records for Paul Whiteman, chose the records on the radio for Tommy Dorsey, for Duke Ellington. I was known as the number one record picker of all time, and I got my own show, and that was, uh, it was fun. Martin Block uh, told me, he got me my own show. He said, Joe, don't compete with me. How could anybody compete with Martin Block? He was the king of, he got the highest ratings in the history of radio. So, so it was not to compete with him. I'd go to an old junk shop and I'd buy five old records for five cents. Eddie Cantor and Harry, Harry Richmond, George M. Cohen, Georgie Jessel, play him on the radio. I'd say, ladies and gentlemen, here's a record worth $500. I'd make up those crazy, and I'd go back to the store the next day, put down five pennies, take five records, the dealer say, hey, come here, kid. I said, what do you mean? I'm not easy. He said, come here. I was on the radio list, and I say, these records are worth $500. So I, I, I inadvertently, I single-handedly created the rare record market by making those stupid claims on the radio. So I've got a lot, of, a lot of memories like that. Do you remember Georgie Jessel's biggest hit? My Mother's Eyes. Right. One bright and shining light <laughs> that taught me wrong from right I found in my mother's eyes. He got it down, then came the recitation. He would say, and if I were hung from the highest tree, I know tears would go up to me, my mother's. And if I were drowned in the deepest sea, I know tears would come down to me, my mother's. So the world may call you failure, and the stakes may grind you small, but in the eyes of your mother, you're as big and as great as them all. He was so... Poignant's old electric. Georgie Jessel. Well, you just gave me a chill there with oh, that. He was, I love Georgie <laughs> Jessel. Let me ask you about some of the, the uh, other guests, famous guests on the Franklin show. What about the Ramones? They loved me. They would uh, sit home all night and watch me. I had, uh, I think they were on, no, not with, but they were on uh, the same day I taped them as I taped the Jay Giles Band. Sure, They're, sure, I've seen them on your show. Jay Giles Band were in town for one day, and David Letterman offered them $75,000 to go on his show that one day, and they came on my show for nothing. He said, Joe, we watch you every night on the road. We love you. We think you're real. They had two gold, two platinum records that time. One was called Freeze Frame. One was called... Uh, Centerfold. Center, you're a centerfold. You're, you're great, and, and they gave me one of those records. They gave me one of the platinum records on my show. It's, it's a key. big record. Yeah, right. And they did the whole routine live with, with Martin Payne coming down from the ceiling. I still got the Martin Payne on my jacket from 35, 40 years ago. And and Frank and I were just talking. <laughs> he says you've had some interesting women. Well, I wrote a book with yo. Marilyn Monroe. I wrote a famous book with Marilyn. I, I didn't do any any hinky dinky, any hanky panky. <laughs> <laughs> Hinky Dinky. Hinky Dinky is wow. even better. We met Sounds on, dirtier. <laughs> we met on a radio show called Luncheon at Sardi's. I was sitting there between Marilyn Monroe and, and, and Molly Peacock. Remember the name Molly sure. Peacock? Oh, my sure. God, yes. Sure. And uh, I got friendly with Marilyn. We spent two weeks writing her book, which sold at one time for $10,000 because the publisher died the same week when it came out, so not that many copies got into the public's hands. 
And now you can buy a copy now for $500 or $1,000 if the spine is pretty good. But uh, I was very close with Jane Mansfield. Uh, again, no hinky-dinky, but I was... I, I, <laughs> <laughs> your, web, your website says dalliances. Yeah, not, not sure. They made that up. Okay. What about Veronica Lake? She was my anchor lady. She was dead broke. I gave her $100 every time she was on my show. She was, uh, you know, in 1944, Veronica Lake was the highest salaried uh, lady in movies. She got 10000 10, a week in 1944. was like, like I guess, a half a million today. But uh, through uh, improper management and husbands who took advantage, she, was, she wound up penniless. She, wound, she lived at the hotel Martha Washington as a, uh, as a waitress in that hotel, by the way. And every time she was on my show, I gave her $100, and she was... Still very attractive and very glamorous. She died at the age of 53. It's a very sad ending for Veronica Lake. One time I heard on the radio Al Jones say, I'm coming to New York. I'm going to be living at the Hotel Martha Washington. So you know what I did? I waited out for, in front of the Martha, Martha Washington for a whole week, and this is what I found out. I found it's a ladies' hotel. He just said that as a joke. I was waiting for <laughs> <laughs> He never showed up. It was just a, like an inside joke, but I didn't know it was an inside joke. I got great, great memories like that. Now, Veronica Lake was known for her hair. The peekaboo hairdo, right? right. Yeah, it it hid half of her face. That's right. Later on, the uh, government kind of banned it because the women were getting it caught in the uh, machinery when they were doing their defense work. (laughs) I think of Sullivan's Travels when I think of Veronica Lake. That's the one. Many, many pictures like that, right? So so they they put an end to that haircut, to Veronica Lake, which every woman wanted because she was a sex symbol. Think of those movies she made with uh, Alan Ladd, like... uh, Was she in This Gun for Hire? This Gun for Hire, The Glass Key, Mm -hmm. you know your stuff. She was... Beautiful lady in her and, heyday. And they would get their hair caught in machineries? That's right. That's the reason that the government banned it. She, they said no more hairdos like that for anybody. <laughs> that was big headline news in those days. Big news. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Now, what was some of the saddest celebs you've run into who were... Former stars. Well, I had so many that committed suicide after taping my show. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember Gig Young? He was, I, oh, yes. We were talking about him yeah. recently. He taped the show with me, committed suicide the next day. Remember a, a comedian named Jackie Cannon? Had a famous Jackie Cannon's joke room. He committed suicide. He was very famous. I had a few like that, but most of them were... Uh, I was known as uh, a, a great clearinghouse. People would meet on my show. They'd wind up either having dates or getting married or... Uh... I have to tell you, my fiancé's mother was on your show. What's her name? Joe, I, I don't imagine you remember. Carol Sturben. She's a craft and decorating author. She was on your show in the, in the, uh, in the 80s. She had a book? She did, indeed. What was that book Several called? books. Oh, I'd have to look that up. Right, I'll check, or have to maybe, check with her. Maybe but I'll find the old... What's, what's her name again? Carol Sturben's. Maybe I'll find the old video someday. I'll give it to her as a souvenir. That would you know? be fantastic. A lot of 28,000 shows, they only saved about 500 videos. It's very... They, wow. What they would, they, they would t- tape over it to save money. You know what I'm saying? So I think Johnny Carson had the same problem. They would tape over his old shows to save money. I think Carson's first show is not available for that reason. That's right. The first one with Groucho. Oh, I wish I had that. Now, I, I was invited. Remember when, when Tiny Tim was married on Johnny Carson's show? Sure. I was invited to that wedding. Miss Vicky. Miss Vicky. I couldn't go. You know why? I couldn't find a formal shopping bag. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to ask you about Tiny Tim. Yeah, he Speaking was, of. He was a dear, dear friend. We would sit in the back of the limousine on the way to different events and we'd sing the old songs together. I, I miss Tiny Tim. He was, he was probably the most recognizable man that ever lived. You walk in the streets with Tiny Tim, they'd. they'd 
climb aboard and just to be near him. They, they would block the sidewalks to see Tiny Tim. He was, uh, he was a big star once on Laugh-In. I think he made $50,000 a week, and he was very wealthy, but his manager ran away with all the money. <laughs> oh, that's, so that's another story. Those things happen in show business, yeah. right? I, I remember watching that, watching Laugh-In as a kid. That's right. And uh, Dick Martin was standing there with Tiny Tim, and Tiny Tim is singing Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Right. And Dick Martin is staring at him incredulously, and then after that, forget it. He was all over the place on That's the radio, right. on TV. Gigantic. Rowan and Martin, right? Yes. Sure. <clears throat> oh, that's what happens. Now, Jerry Lewis has been on your show, hasn't he? Jerry was a very dear friend of mine. One day uh, I said, Jerry, uh, how's Dean Martin? He said, no wonder they call you the nostalgic kid. He took a swing at me, right? on light. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, we made up. But, you know, what is, I was on 10 o'clock in the morning, and sometimes they don't want to get up that early in the morning, but the, the movie studio says, Look, you want to sell tickets for your, your movies? You got to make the rounds of the talk show. So very belligerently, very, uh, you know, unhappily, they made the rounds. Rosemary Clooney one day, I said, you know, Miss Clooney, I said, I saw Jose Ferrer last night in Man of La Mancha. She says, you know, we're not married anymore, Charlie. <laughs> I said, first of all, her name isn't Charlie. You know, I just wanted to point out that I didn't know your ex-husband was such a good singer. She gets up, she walks, she says, goodbye, Charlie, walks off the set. Just walks off. Later on, he came out, she was going through a nervous break. She wrote a, a famous book about her nervous breakdown at that period, so she apologized to me later on. She said, I was very nervous that day. I accepted her apology, Rosemary Clooney, but it's, uh, you got to live with these people and enjoy them. And uh, the main thing I always say is get the book plug out of the way. Get the Plug the book fast, otherwise they're going to get nervous. You're not going to plug the book. So if you plug the book fast or the movie, they'll be more at ease. They'll forget they're on TV and they'll uh, give you a good interview. And I never... Uh, I never rehearsed an agreement. I never, I know, you know, nowadays you watch a TV show, somebody says, how do you feel? It says on a, on a, on a, on a teleprompter, fine. You know, in those days, but when I did it, I, I, having dinner in a restaurant, you know, rehearsing your dialogue before the dinner, you just, have the, you just have your dialogue. I did the same thing. I did not read the books. I just came on the air and spoke to them and ad-libbed it, and it, it worked. It clicked for all those years. You can't, you can't knock that, right, uh, uh, Gilbert, right? No, I, I watched it all the time. So did I. Yeah, that was that. That was so much fun when that came on. It was a way of life, and I tried to speak in clear, distinct English. I had a cab driver. I have at least one cab driver a month who does not want to take my money. <laughs> they say, Joe, I learned English watching you on TV. That's I nice. To, I want to be my guest. I always make him take the money. Well, once I gave him a nickel tip because he thought I was Jackie Mason. <laughs> <laughs> you go around saying Jackie Mason is very cheap. That's what I figured. But I, uh, I get Merv Griffin once in a while, but nine, nine out of ten I get Joe Franklin. Speaking of English as a second language, tell us about Salvador Dali appearing on the show. He just liked me, liked me. One time we had lunch together in the Hotel Des Artistes after my show, Salvador Dali, me, and two others. And the check came, the check for about four people for a beautiful lunch was $9. So I said to the waitress, I said, how about instead of me paying the $9, I get Mr. Dolly to uh, sign his autograph on the, on the back of this check. He said, I'll, I'll go talk to the, to the boss. So he came out and said, the boss okays it. So he signed it. And I met a man about uh, a year ago who sold that check on eBay for about maybe $15,000. That autograph of Salvador Dolly. That's a fond memory of uh, thing. I, I had John Lennon on three. Every time I had John Lennon on once, we'd have Yoko on three times. 
He just <laughs> wanted, he wanted to show Yoko that, that she could exist. That was the deal, huh? That was the deal. Without three without, Yokos for one John. <laughs> exactly. <without laughs> John Lennon sent me many, many thank you letters, which like, like a dope I sold to Charles Hamilton, the autograph man. I wish I still had those letters, but I've got nice memories of knowing John Lennon. He was the best. He was, what was John Lennon like to talk to? The, the most ordinary, non-actory, non uh, just, just, just so real, just like anybody, anybody in the street. Just a nice, nice guy. I miss him very much. What about the Jackson Five? Well, one of the cutest kids of all time was Michael Jackson at the age of five when he was on with the Jackson family. He was adorable. I had him on several times when he was five years old. And he was so electric, so uh, dignified, and handsome, and kind of a sad ending, but he was a beautiful guest. I had, many be- I had so many beautiful guests. So many famous actresses. You had Myrna Loy, had uh, Veronica Lake, had Hedy Lamarr, had Ginger Rogers, had uh, Fred Astaire. I asked Fred Astaire once, well, who's his favorite dancing partner? And he danced with everybody. You know what he says to me? Gene Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to offend any of the ladies. But I got all those great memories. I'm not going to quit till I get it right. <laughs> Still enjoying it. Now, th- there were a few people who used to, like, just autograph stuff. I mean, like a check. Like, I heard it happen with Jimmy Stewart and people like that where they would write a check and no one would ever cash the check. That's true. People do that with my yeah. checks, too. Yeah. <laughs> and I collect old checks as part of my memorabilia archives. I got checks by Rudy Valley, who was my very best friend of all time, Rudy Valley. Remember the vagabond lover, Rudy Valley? What a great man he was. He wanted to play the role of Patton so badly. He wrote a famous letter to Darrell F. Zanuck. He wanted to play Patton. But I think uh, Charles, uh, George Scott got the part, right? <laughs> yeah, and ran with it. He did very well, yeah. But I've got autographed uh, checks from... Uh, I remember Rudy Valley playing a Batman villain on the old uh, Adam West Batman that's series. That's right. You in got the a, 60s. Good memory, a good memory. It was my first, the first time I ever saw Rudy Valley. That's right. I got yeah, autographed which, checks. Yeah. Wait, was he the... Crooner. He did played they Lord him? Fogg. Oh, he played a he played a Brit with a monocle, <laughs> <laughs> and he could dispense knockout gas. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> knockout gas from a from a meerschaum pipe. Rudy Valley in his heyday, gentlemen, was more famous than any three people you can think of today combined. He was the number one singer in the entire history of the world. One day, he picked up the phone in his house in California. Heard his wife Faye Webb saying, "You know." I'm going to poison Rudy tonight. <laughs> so, yeah, that made the headlines. That made front pages all over the world for months and months and months. And he got rid of his wife, of course. But he was the best. He was uh, a little on the frugal side, right? But that was Rudy Valley. Famous. Wasn't he on your show over 90 times? Maybe 110 times. And Otto Preminger, too. Otto over Preminger, 90 times. Many times. Oh, yeah. Eddie Fisher. Remember Eddie Fisher? Sure. He was, Eddie Fisher is the only man in history that made that sold 22 records in a row that each one sold a million. There wasn't one out of those 22 in a row didn't sell a million at least. Shows you how famous leading people forgot Eddie Fisher See, by now. And the, Eddie, Eddie Fisher's a sad case because he was so popular. Sad ending, right? Yeah. And then he was, like, forgotten about. He, oh, he was, well, tell, tell us about the whole love triangle. Well, he was married to everybody. He was yeah. married to Connie Stevens, Debbie Reynolds, Elizabeth Taylor, many, many more wives. I think he had eight wives. At the end was an Oriental woman who died and left him many, many millions of dollars at the end. So he did okay, but who left who to marry who? He, I think he was married to uh, Debbie. Debbie Reynolds, right. 
who was America's sweetheart. You he certainly was, right? Hurt her. And then he started having an affair with Elizabeth Taylor. That's right. And that made him, America hated him. Yeah, they kind of resented that, you're right. And, and then Mary, then Elizabeth Taylor started having an affair with Richard Burton. She was married to Richard Burton twice, you know that, yes. right? She made the movie that, uh, that sort of uh, bankrupt uh, 20th Century Fox. Oh, Cleopatra. Cleopatra, right. And Hello, Dolly! with Barbara Streisand sort of bankrupted the company the second time, right? But uh, the movie musicals, they're kind of a passe now. You don't see many movies. Today you see very strange kind of movies. I miss the old ones where they'd have long scenes, just people sitting nose to nose talking over a breakfast table or something, but <laughs> you, don't, you don't get that anymore. <laughs> it's a little slimy today, right? But you can't knock what pays the rent, right? Well, there's like that long street in L.A., that used to, I like of hotels and businesses now, that all used to belong to 20th Century Fox. And I think after Cleopatra, they had to sell a lot of it. Right, right. There were certain stars that owned much property. Fred McMurray. Remember the name Fred McMurray? Oh, Star? yeah, yeah. Double he, Indemnity. He owned Double Indemnity. He owned one-third of... of Beverly Hills, Gene Autry, remember the Cowboys? Oh stuff? yeah, he was—he owned everything. Gene Autry owned airports and schools and radio. Well, half stations. of Orange County, Gene oh, Autry. Oh my God, I love Gene Autry singing, by the way. And then um, Bob Hope. Bob, was yeah. Bob Hope was very, very wealthy. I love Bob Hope. I miss Bob Hope. I'm uh, seeing the Academy Award. I miss Johnny Carson. I'm seeing the Academy Awards. You know, it's a little different today. How'd you like, uh, lady, the other night? Uh, Ellen DeGeneres, did you watch any of that Academy Awards? Uh, uh, the Academy Awards put me to sleep yeah, pretty quick. What did you think of it? Half and half, half and half. John Travolta mixed up uh, on a certain name. Oh, yes. Dina Menzel's name, yeah. It was embarrassing, yeah. huh? Yeah. <laughs> that one will be in his obituary now. <laughs> Tell us, going back to the Joe Franklin show, talk a little bit about Martin Paint and Hoffman's Beverages, which became so identified with the well, show. When I started with Martin Paint as a sponsor, they had one store. Then when they went off my show, they had 400 stores. So you built that brand. I built them up. Oh, my God, did I build them up. They went out of business when... Uh, who were some of the other chains that got so big? Uh, I forget the names, but uh, what, what's big today? Whatever it was, they, they, had, they had many, many great years, thanks to Joe Franklin. And I had Nabisco shredded wheat. For all, there was one time I had on my desk 28 products on TV. 20, today you don't see live products on desks anymore. I had 28 live products. Castro Convertible and Imperial Margarine and Bertoli Olive Oil, well, all, all on one desk. Wasn't it also new, new, new coal margarine? No, I had two margarines at one time. Yes. <laughs> no and Imperial Margarine. I, I defied the laws of gravity. <laughs> so you had two margarines competing with each other. I go back to the show. days when you could advertise cigarettes on TV. I, one time I said, nine out of ten doctors who tried camels went back to women. <laughs> And I was taken off the air by the censors for two weeks off the air. So one time I said, my sponsor was Stop and Shop. I said, Stop and Shop is merging with A&P. They're going to call it now Stop and P. Forget it was taken off the air for... So, you know, I, but I, I, I pioneered a lot of Howard Stern material. Howard will tell you that. Yeah. Howard used to follow me in the streets. And Joe, frankly, would follow me in the streets. And I, I think that uh, a little of me rubbed off on him, you know. I was one of the first bad boys on TV, but I uh, did it with a sweet kind, innocent, lovable, kissable baby face, and I got away with it, you know. People would say, I, I make a strong point, an acid 
point that only a certain Mike Wallace or somebody, Alan Burke, could make it. I was like, did Joe Franklin really say that? He couldn't have said that. He looks he's too nice to have said that. I did say it, but uh, I got away with it by being so young and innocent looking and, and lovable, you know? <laughs> I don't think of Joe Franklin as a bad boy, do you, Gilbert? <laughs> <laughs> What do you remember about making Ghostbusters? Because uh, Har- Harold Ramis passed oh, recently. Harold Ramis was a dear friend of mine. Well, I was I'm in the pivotal scene where they, I, I say, have you seen Elvis Presley lately? It was a classic line, and I still get residuals on that. You it's, do. It's amazing. I got one. I checked your day for about from about, about for nine cents. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? I, I've got you beat. I have a check on yeah, yeah. my wall right. for a penny. A penny, right? What yeah. movie? What? What movie was that? Uh, that one was Mom and Dad Saved the World. Now, what does it cost them to mail that letter? Right? Yes. Oh, yeah, the paper it's printed on That's costs was, more than Was John Lovitz right. in that one? Ah, uh, yes. John <laughs> Lovitz. Jeffrey Jones. Sure, Jeffrey Jones from Beetlejuice. Um... Oh, what's her name? I think that woman who was in Young Frankenstein. Terry Gar. Terry Gar. Yeah. And um, Kathy Ireland. And you got one cent. One and a cent. check. One cent. Isn't that amazing? What about Broadway Danny Rose? Joe, you were in that well, one, too. Uh, Woody Allen. I mean, Woody Allen is the genius of all. In fact, when you make a Woody Allen movie, as far as I know, there's no script. He just tells you, go out there, and he gives you the rough idea what you're going to say, and I said it, and that was a classic I'm in a movie called 29th Street with uh, Frank Langella, is that his name? And, uh, and uh, it was the big fellow, uh, I can't think of right now. But anyway, I'm in a lot of movies. I've made movies with Buster Crab. Buster Crab. The Projectionist. There's a name. I love now, him. Buster Crab, can you say what he actually got rich for? He was a, he was a swimmer. Swimming coach. And he was Flash Gordon. And Buck Rogers. Yeah, and Buck mm-hmm. Rogers. Now, but what was the thing he got really made his money off of? Selling swimming pools or? Uh... No, he, I think he, it was like he found this like rubber and he, he got someone to sew it into a T-shirt. And these were like basically girdles for men. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And he, he would <laughs> I could use one. I can use one. <laughs> And he he would sell it on late night TV, and I heard he made more from that than any movie he was in. Well, those infomercials. I made an infomercial. Remember the name Nolan Ryan? Of course. Great sportsman. Well, yeah, Hall of Fame pitcher. I went out to Texas to make an infomercial with Nolan Ryan, and uh, you know, he's a Christian scientist, and he he also, like Gene Autry, he owns everything. He said, Joe, mention anything you want, but don't mention money. You know, he didn't want to mention money. So during the interview, I said, said, these are the days Nolan, when when baseball starts making gigantic salaries, he says, what do you mean? I was the first guy to make a million dollars. We got there through through a devious route, you might say, right? I love those infomercials. Now, what what was Boris Karloff like meeting? The exact opposite of of a horror actor, of a horror play. It was kind and gentle and loving. He made a lot of children's albums, you know, record albums. Telling stories for kids, and he was—he just became the victim of—I uh, think he got the part once when Lon Chaney got sick, and they gave the parts to Boris Karloff, whatever it was. But he was one time I had Boris Karloff on the same panel with Bella Lugosi and Peter Lorre on one panel. Wow! And who walks in? Vincent Price the same day, sucking an ice cream cone, wearing short, <laughs> short, wearing short pants. I forgot that day. <laughs> now, what was Bela Lugosi like? 
He was uh, a little scary, a little scary. <laughs> a little scary. Love to see those episodes on DVD. I wish they were available. I got great. I every band leader on, Glenn Miller, Sammy Kay, and Harry James, and Benny Goodman. I had them all on. I, people always ask me, what's the, the, my advice for being a talk show host? I says, don't leave your wallet in the dressing room. <laughs> don't bump into the furniture. Lie on the back of your resume. Tell us little lies on the back of your resume to make yourself more important. But it's... Uh, I think talk shows are here to st- If you read the paper, every, every day is a new talk show announced, right? Every single day. And they come and go. They come overnight, right? But they, uh, it's here to stay. I, I, I invented a talk show. I'm very proud about that. There was a special that A&E plays now and then called It's Only Talk. And it shows me on there. It's telling how I invented the talk show, which is something I'm a little bit proud of. You know, it's, uh, I'm part of the culture. You are. When you say you watch them, you sit and watch them sometimes. What are you, what are you watching? Are you watching them on VHS? I only watch my own show. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, but but what what uh, what Pro- format do you have? Them probably in? VHS. You've yeah. never you've never actually transferred any of them over to the very few, very very few. I got, I'm kind of non-tech. If I gave you a list of things I've never done in my life, you'd cry. I don't. Know. <laughs> I never had a driver's license. I mean, I drove when I was a kid. I never. You had, and me both. Really, I never had. Never had a driver's. license. I never went to a beach. I never had my feet in the sand per se. You know what I'm saying? I never went to a horse race. I never never played cards. I never. <laughs> About 20 things, 20 things like that I've never done. I was on TV three times a day and radio all night. Never had time to do anything. <laughs> and now, Lugosi, I heard, couldn't speak English. I had a lot of trouble with English. You're right, you're right. Well, that was part of an era when uh, sound came in and many of the big, big stars were foreigners who could not speak English. And a man with a good... Remember the name at all? Conrad Nagel? Know the oh. name. Conrad Nagel had a great one. He, he once told me he made five movies at one time, going from set to set with the words on a blackboard. You read the words. Now you never knew what the, what the plot was. <laughs> and, every, and, and every movie came out great. That's what you call being a professional, right? He read off the blackboard. Five, five movies in one, at one time. Every one came out just the way it was meant to be uh, presented to the public. So, But those were the... the and, and I think with Lugosi's lack of knowledge in English gave him that strange delivery that I he always him. had. He, he was, let, me hear, let me hear a little bit better goes. <laughs> Welcome, Joe. It's a pleasure being on your show. You may kiss my ring. That's what you yes. say. He, he was great. Listen to them, children of the night. What music they make. And how was he buried? In his... In his cape. That's right. In his Dracula cape. That's the way. Now, what about Peter Lorre? Same thing. Very, very scary. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go around town with Claude Rains. Remember the name of Claude Rains? Yeah, of course. Very poor vision. I used to help him cross the streets. The Invisible Man. Great, great star. I think of him in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington as uh, Jimmy Stewart's uh, mentor. That's right. That's Senator Payne. That's the guy. And, and he was the... Uh, the uh, crooked French general in Casablanca. Sure, right. sure. Let's not forget the variety shows. Ed Sullivan, Walter Winter. Winter was the Hollywood's a place where they, they, they shoot pictures instead of actors. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was great. And uh, Ed Sullivan, of course, it was, it was a, the national Sunday night habit. Everybody was on that show. Remember Alan King and Buddy Hackett, they're all gone now. And uh, the Beatles, of course, and... Uh, 
So many people tried to emulate the Ed Sullivan format. It just didn't work. Rosie O'Donnell and Larry King and Dick Clark and maybe 10 more. They all tried to do a one-hour variety show. It just didn't click without Ed Sullivan. Well, it, it also, now when they tried variety, it looks like a parody of variety. You're right. Like they're looking down on it. Very non-inspired. You're right, yeah. Very amateurish. But TV is here to stay. It's certainly changed the world. When I was young, somebody said to me, Joe, someday they're going to show red when they, when they do a commercial for Campbell's tomato juice. I said, you're out of your mind. I said, How can you ever see? You're never going to see the red for tomato juice. Look what happened now, right? Today, without technical, there'd be no TV. So it's, uh, who knows what's to come, right? Now, were there people you hated, famous people you hated? I don't think so. A no. couple of were a little jealous of me, but I, listen, I, I forgive them, I forget them. And uh, it's a way of life. The nice ones more than compensated for that, right? Yeah. Was there anybody you wanted to get? Was there a dream guest that you o- could Only Greta Garbo. Greta, Greta Garbo. Garbo? Yeah, she wouldn't come on. She wouldn't go anywhere. She was, I think she made a movie in the early 40s called uh, Two-Faced Woman. She went to see that movie. She said, I've made enough faces, and she quit. <laughs> Wasn't she living in Sutton Place I was, for years? I was living with her in her apartment. I was very close with uh, Greta Garbo. We used to meet in... Uh, Greta Garbo film retrospectives, and we'd uh, meet in the streets, and I'd, I had lunch with her at a restaurant at a store called Nutrition Center. She would uh, always go in health food stores, and she left her shoes there one day, which I took home with me. I sold them on eBay many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you do know about eBay. Yeah, yeah. But most of the stuff I sell upstairs, I'm so emotionally attached, I don't want to sell my things. I want to... Keep them and go down with them someday. Well, Gilbert and I were sitting in that office, and we just there's there's got to be a small fortune in that room, if you if you can manage it, if you can inventory everything. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. We were considering robbing the place. And <laughs> <laughs> time you want. There's a lot of stuff in there. I'll give you a key. Come in any midnight you want. It's all yours. <laughs> like any one album out of the piles of a trillion, I think you could retire on. Some of them are rare. Some of them, I got albums that sell for two, three, four, five thousand dollars. I got an album, the film score of, uh, of uh, oh, the famous, uh, famous sea sea drama. I'll think of it. Anyway, it's uh, I got some rare ones. Oh, the old seventy eights, the old thirty threes are rare in many cases. It was oh, Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Kane Mutiny Court Martial. That soundtrack is very rare. Is that the name of the movie? Kane Mutiny. Court yeah, Kane Mutiny with Bogart. Right, right, and right. Fred McMurray. Right, famous, yeah. And, um... Van Johnson? Van Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was great. What, what movie was that? Uh, oh, in that, oh that, that movie yeah. was fabulous. Oh, and, and Jose Ferrer. I love Van Johnson. You know, As, used, Van Johnson used to wear red socks all the time. Van Johnson was a good friend of mine, yeah. He was hard of hearing. A lot of stars are hard of hearing nowadays. Yeah. Pat Cooper doesn't hear the way he used to do it. No. But he's, uh, <laughs> but he's, he's a funny guy. He yells, he yells, he screams, He's right? on our list of people to interview. <laughs> You going to do interview with somebody? Oh again? yeah, sure. He'd be, he'd be a sensational guest. I sure. love Pat Cooper. And uh, so is this program heard all over the world? Now? Is that the way it works? Absolutely. It's heard in Gilbert's house. <laughs> That's right. Thank now, you. now this is funny because we were talking about all the different talk shows, and I make jokes about your show a lot, but your show outlasted everybody. Everybody. Everybody, there were there were 550 talk show hosts came and went during my tenure. 
550 talk shows came in with us. A lot of people came Stunning. in. Stunning. It's yeah. got to mean something, right? It's got to mean something. Even Dick Cavett, <laughs> he was on your show. He, <laughs> Several times. Yeah, right. He's, I mean, I love Dick, but, he, you know, he was, he had, he had, I was on a show one night. You know what happened on the same show? Somebody died. The editor of Prevention Magazine. Of, oh, yes. What was his name? I forgot his name. Rodale. Rodale, right, yeah, right. Yeah. He died right after me or before me. Of course, I died on TV every night for all those years. <laughs> I died, died myself every night, right? But I uh, invented a lot of things. I invented dirty, stupid dog tricks or pet tricks. Or whatever. Uh, there was an article in New York Magazine. You know, I invented what so many talk shows are doing nowadays, so you can't knock it. I was never able to go super-duper national, but I had the chance. I had people that were saying to me, Joe... Why don't you take your show out of you out of the uh, category and go? I didn't want to go national. I wanted to keep it local the way it was, and uh, it did quite well. And I was the first show to be on cable. I think it was a company called Eastern Microwave. I was, there was no such thing as cable. There was a, a, a company in Jersey called Eastern Microwave. All of a sudden, I started to get mail from Alaska, from Italy, from Puerto Rico. So I was the I was stunned to get that mail from far away because I was seen in New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Connecticut. But to get the so I did I was the, the first man on cable TV. Cable TV now is almost bigger than broadcast TV, bigger than terrestrial TV. So it's just uh, another thing I'm quite proud of. Yeah. Now what about Jack Benny? My all-time favorite. I mean, with Eddie Cantor, Jack Benny of course was uh, known for being frugal. He got that way because his first sponsor was Canada Dry Ginger Ale, and the, the gimmick was he would go around collecting the cans and get it for five cents back <laughs> on every can. That was made him famous. The singers were Donald Novus and Kenny Baker, and oh, he had good singers in his heyday. I love Jack Benny. He died quite young. He had stomach cancer, but I love Jack Benny. George Burns, of course. George Burns was a dear friend. He would talk to George on the phone. He would say, oh, how are you? But he came in person. He, he light up like an electric train when he came <laughs> on, on the stage. He saved his energy with the time when he performed, you know? Now, you know Sid Caesar also. Very different. I'd hold his hand once. We were showing a Sid Caesar uh, documentary. He was very nervous. He had terrible bad scoliosis in the back or something. Yeah. Terrible pain. But he was a great, great entertainer. Great star. With Imogene Coke. Remember Imogene Coke? Oh, Yeah. Show of shows. Uh, Howard how, Morris. Yes. <laughs> I think his writers included Woody Allen, right? And oh, Mel, Mel Reiner, Reiner, Reiner. Mel Brooks. Mel Tolkien. Yes. Great. Neil, Neil Simon. Neil Simon. Whoa. What Larry a, Gilbert. What a, what a cast. What a crew of writers, huh? So there's not much more I can say except I'm, I've enjoyed this. I hope you're going to invite me back. And uh, Oh, we definitely will. What do you think of the idea of having Joe uh, wrap the show the way he used to wrap the old Joe Franklin? Yes, show with yes, that's a great idea. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor. Don't ever leave me, please. I get insecure. Don't leave me. <laughs> don't, don't ever leave me. Still, I'll be back tomorrow with more of uh, the same. And until then, I'll uh, make a toast. I'll say uh, it's nice to be important, or it's more important, but it's more important to be nice. Or may you live as long as you want, or may you never want as long as you live. Or as Al Jolson said on one New Year's Eve, I said, Al, what's your toast? He says, here's to our wives and sweethearts. May they never meet. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Franklin, ladies and gentlemen, I I can't top that. Please invite me back. We will. I I enjoyed this. Thank you. 